Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Fallout New Vegas of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am, as always, the Death Metal Guy, a.k.a. Treecutter666. And I'm the Black Metal Guy, a.k.a. Frost Embattled Blightstorm. <laughs> Say that opposite, times fast. <laughs> opposite directions there. Of, of course, <laughs> I am. Uh, for those who haven't heard, I am referencing the interview we just uploaded uh, a couple days ago uh, between the Black Metal Guy and uh, both Mulder Yawn and Robes of Snow uh, getting proverbially spit-roasted by trees. Um, it, was a, <laughs> it was a little bit off of our usual upload schedule, so I figured I'd just, you know, plug it in case anyone had missed it. No, no, it's a really it was good a, I, yeah, it was really fun talking to those guys. Um, and uh, we just chilled on a Friday night and, uh, you know, had a, a free-ranging conversation about the new EP and then a bunch of stuff relating to it from, I think, he sort of... Uh, uh, Charlie, so the uh, guy from Moldyons, uh, influenced by video game soundtracks and video game environments, which was really interesting. Maybe the most unexpected thing. Uh, talking about different ideas of paganism and relating to nature and how do you do that when you live in a city or whatever, right? So uh, it was fun. Yeah, any of you uh, deep cut like uh, picture of tree Instagram black metal weirdos will really enjoy it. There's lots of... Uh, <laughs> Lots of uh, actually pretty stimulating talk about uh, about paganism that I found pretty interesting. I uh, I oh, edit the man. episode, so uh, I was listening to it in full, and actually I didn't even get bored when you guys talked about is Thor really a dude for like half an hour? It was pretty good. Yeah, yeah excellent. <laughs> all right. Well, is um, uh, our, is the Trinity all one guy? <laughs> uh, technically yes and no but anyway all right well we'll uh we'll come back to that one in the next that we'll come back to that one a thousand years from now um so. <laughs> and so will he yeah, um yeah, yeah. all right so i don't think we've got too much going on in the co <laughs> i just got here. that one okay fair enough keep going okay. <laughs> <laughs> ah, catholic puns all right so uh but yeah, we don't have too much news going on or anything. Um, we're just, honestly, Jesus Christ, the back third of this year is going to be just nothing but huge releases, it feels like. so, And us trying to find space for everything we want to talk Terminus about. Terminus Extreme Metal Podcast. Nothing but huge releases. Non-stop it, release. Um, well, you know, it's... it's <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we did cover, uh, on a bonus episode, we did cover Carpathian Forest, the ultimate coomer of black metal, so... Yeah, we are, we are, the, uh, we are the male pig of uh, extreme metal podcasts. <laughs> um, 30 oh, minutes uh, or something. Oh, speaking of pigs, pay pigs, mm. if you want to become one. Uh, you can do that by by supporting by by supporting us in our cooming efforts on uh, Patreon or Subscribestar. Uh, three bucks and up gets you access to the Terminus Prime bonus episodes. Uh, newest one of those is still pretty fresh. That was just like a week and a half ago. Um, real interesting one there. And uh, five dollars and up gets you access to the Terminus Black Circle. Um, where we, uh, I don't know, we've got a guy compiling a sort of like 4chan style grid of essential Terminus underground classics just based off us spurging about them in reviews all the time, so that'll be a fun project when it's completed. And, you know, the usual memery and shit posting, and occasionally some actual musical discussion sneaks in. Um... And, uh, you know, beyond oh, I flip-flopped him this time. Also, social media, follow us, Terminus on Facebook, uh, at Terminus Podcast, 
Terminus on Instagram at Terminus Extreme Metal. Whatever. Let's talk about albums. Uh, you're up first. What have you got? Well, I, you know, although I suppose technically you're the one who remembered to bring this on the show, but uh, certainly I'm, a band. I'm just going with the uh, the stuff that we have the most experience with. Yeah, you yeah. Know, today's like I guess today's what? lineup is really yeah. I mean, I guess also our fans reminded us of this, but um, this is a band uh, I've been uh, had eagerly wanted to hear from again. So uh, I am glad this was brought to our attention. Um, this is uh, Rebezol. I, I don't know how you do an umlaut over a U in German. Do you? Rubezol. Rubezol. Yeah, it's just like a, uh, it's like a guttural U. Which yeah. is, I think that, yeah, Rubezol, uh, which is the name of like a German wild man or forest spirit or something. Um, and this is, uh, this is Remnants of Grief and Glory, their debut full length. Uh, Rubezol is from Alaska and they like hate forest. <laughs> so there you go. What else do you need to know? Just buy it now. Yeah, buy it now. <laughs> Okay, so uh, after that is going to be uh, a band returning to the show, uh, a smaller band we discovered last year and we actually made pretty fast friends with. Um, that is the return of Elcrost from Vietnam, uh, this time with a an untitled split with Vixenta from Australia. Uh, for those who might not have been listening when we covered Elcrost, uh, they are a sort of progressive, melodic, black death band. Uh, think about uh, think about maybe a, a more gothic play and a more black metal play on the early work by Opeth, but as we'll hear, they definitely expanded their sonic palette. And uh, Vixenta is a sort of eccentric uh, post-black band that actually has a fairly long discography behind them, but this is uh, our first experience with it. And, uh, you know, spoilers, uh, we like both sides. Yeah. All right, and then we will be uh, doing a rapid change of tone, although actually not as much as one might think, to uh, Serpent Column's latest EP, Catartasis, uh, which is out on Mystus Chaos, although in the endless sea of confusing shit from this label and institution, it has now changed to dis... I think Mystus Chaos is still a label or circle or whatever, but it's now all being distributed under the label Dissociative Visions, which was the name of yeah, a festival I, that they I put on know. years ago. Boy, it's, um, I don't, <laughs> I don't fucking know. It used, it's just all Fallen Empire to me, man. Um, <laughs> it's, uh... <laughs> Um, but, um, you know, Serpent Column is Serpent Column. This is the third in a cycle of EPs, each following on a full length. Uh, this is closes out the cycle. So we're excited to see what happens. And then closing out our cycle is going Ooh. to be the latest album by the legendary Nunslaughter, titled Red is the Color of Ripping Death, out predictably on Hell's Headbangers. Uh, Nunslaughter is not a band we talk about on the show a lot, but I've been a pretty big fan for a long time, and I think they're, uh, they're really unique and worthy of discussion because I think it's one of those bands that everybody knows, but very few people have actually sat down and listened to a full album from. And so, we uh, did. And, and <laughs> we did it, not so that you don't have to, but to encourage you to finally do it. True. All right, and we are back with Ubazal's Remnants of Grief and Glory. This is the uh, debut album of a 
pagan black metal band from Alaska. Two dudes in Alaska, one dude on bass, who I believe is based in Chicago, uh, and collaborating with them. Um, and uh, they are... They came That's to my attention like to, in 20... Looks like it's three-piece now. Looks like That's what I'm saying. Line. They had two, two dudes from Alaska, one dude from Chicago. Oh, oh, I get it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, the three-piece formed, I think, before they recorded the first, the first, they had written some of the songs, but I think the three-piece uh, was uh, played on the first EP, too, which mm -hmm. is how uh, they came to my attention with uh, Tempering of Northern Iron. This actually came out on the label, was got a tape release on the label of the dude from Elegiac. Uh, oh, and, for, uh, Sacrificial Sounds, yeah. Yes, and spiritually, it's uh, somewhat similar in that it is... Uh, ruggedly american angry mountain man music with a that is nevertheless rooted in a deep sense of european paganism uh sort of this maneuver of i talked a bit about that idea when we reviewed mortem back in the day mm -hmm. the idea of yeah. you know how do you how do you reimagine the americas as like in the way that the vikings saw it as vinland or something or how do you mm -hmm. how do you transpose old gods to new soil in a way that's sensitive to the fact that it's a different place and maybe that you're also dealing with lingering gods from before mm -hmm. in America, right yeah. you know um and sort of how do you relate to this new landscape and Rubazal do it very very convincingly maybe more than maybe like made they're sort of my paradigm for that uh they fall well outside the kind of american outlaw rock paradigm we've talked about but there are yeah. some but it's very much a metal band, a black metal band, but uh, some convergences in terms of those themes, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And um, it's some similar concerns. Uh, and in 2019, that EP, uh, Tempering of Northern Iron, ugh, was <laughs> doubtless my most played thing that year. I could just listen to it on loop. It was uh, fantastic. Um, and... We'll get into their their sound on that record first, but uh, yeah, what what did you what what uh you you have a funny story about our covering this? <laughs> well, yeah, so I, I so apparently over the past like month or something or yeah, mm -hmm. last couple weeks at least, <clears throat> so not only did the black metal guy know about Robazal and had been a big fan for years, uh, multiple followers and patrons of ours had apparently been bombarding him with requests to cover this and suggestions that it's right up his alley and then not being privy to any of that discussion on instagram or anything mm -hmm. i just trotted out into the wild like a toddler found this and brought it back to you like is this the kind of pagan stuff you like dad <laughs> yeah so clearly uh thor is pointing squarely at us with his hammer yelling Cover this record. <laughs> um, uh, uh, yeah, I'd sort of, I'd sort of seen it. I'd seen that it was coming. I'd seen the cover, but I've been so busy and spaced out that I missed the release date. So uh, thanks, fans, and thanks, Death Metal Guy. And thanks, Thor. <laughs> um, yeah, I like. Well, no, I think there's like a couple things that you've like picked up that I should have obviously seen myself over the next few weeks. So we're, mm -hmm. we're, we're shoring up each other's lack of attention right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so, um, well, you wanted to, you wanted to play something off the first one just as like a little primer, right? Yeah. I think we can sort of dive, dive in here. So, um, 
and was remarkable because they're in the like very short list of bands, like three of people who've really internalized seriously things about Sanko's guitar style. Uh, I would say that Death Fortress sort of flattens it out, takes away the folky and pagan stuff, sort of makes in some ways, or a little more like uh, a little less, you know, yeah, it less earthy and more just sort of abstract, angry man metal. Mm -hmm. um, and it becomes, uh, but, but it's still really good. Uh, Death Fortress is quite good. Glush makes it very earthy and very sort of folky and romantic and lush, right? Um, and but also emphasizes the nicer Drudger side of it. Uh, Rubazal gets the core of it, which is uh, the basis of the melodic color that's in even the grimmest Hate Forest stuff and the spine and the. Uh, you know, the grimness that's built into a lot of druid griffs, too. And the sort of uh, subdued but ever-present death metal quality of it. Absolutely, yeah. So that becomes... that, And that's that's clear on this record. It was even clearer on Alf, on uh, Tempering of Northern Iron. Um, just, just think of, like, the slow-moving, swirling storm clouds as you hear this. This is uh, Alpha Apex Lupine. sets that apart is the rhythmic underpinning there mm -hmm. so you've they've got something like the jangling triplets thing you get in graveland occasionally in drug and now in the later hate forest right you know the dang 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 but it's yeah they got those those like choppy upstroke things on the uh the higher strings of the guitar and that too yeah well for sure yes you've got the ringing um 
and you you've got the sort of the ringing uh, open strings on the upper part of the guitar, um, but the, just the insistent rhythm rhythm underneath. Dum do 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 um, that is rhythmically sets it all the Slavic stuff it's referencing. It basically half times one of the basic rhythmic gestures and hits it. And of course, sort of there's fewer, it's a little more sparse. It makes it hit a little more like the children of the grave riff. Yeah. Um, a little more like a classic or the enslaved whap, right? Something like that. Um, but, uh, it uh, it really they, they, there's really cool expansion contraction stuff happening there where the bass is just loping, spacing it out, and the guitar riffs are written to that time, and he's just writing these much longer melodies than you would think. Um, you know that sort of snaking, you know, this is a good example of those kinds of melodies that turn around at maybe an odd. I don't know if it's odd numbers of measures, but the phrases extend far beyond their conventional length and far beyond the kind of cellular writing that was common even in Hate Forest. Yeah, you know, I had uh, I had a similar experience like when I was reading your side of the notes where you were describing, you know, one of the primary influences here is Hate Forest. And I didn't really know what to make of that because that's not something I detected a lot. Although, you know, obviously I'm not the big Hate Forest guy here. But then after you played that bit off the the EP, I can start to kind of stitch those ideas together and see mm -hmm. how they, they still make sense. Um, I, I think that part of it just comes through these guys doing a style of pagan metal, or actually the, the term we're avoiding, the dreaded term of Viking metal, um, which you can kind of associate with this in a sense. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we'll get there. Uh, but they're doing it in a much more rough-hewn style. Like, I would compare it to, uh, obviously, musically very different, but something like, uh, I talk about them a lot, Blood Axe from Canada, doing, mm -hmm. like, really raw, sort of, like, pagan, Viking black metal. Um, mm -hmm. Great band. Everyone should listen to them. <clears throat> but on this record, uh, yeah, so the, the salient newer elements I picked up on was, well, one, this is this is a lot more accessible in certain ways. Uh, because one thing we both detected was a big influence from, like, really early Amonomarth, like the first couple records. Um, specifically in the way that they're using these sort of blackened, Norse-sounding, but still sort of death metal-shaped tremolo riffs. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a really big part of this record. And I was also hearing a lot of, like, Immortal and Take, but... You know more about the more pagan side, black, black ground, uh, background. Of this <laughs> that's that's a good Freudian slip. I like that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, what did you what did you make of the transition well, on this? Record? I'm sure they like Immortal and Toka, and I'm sure that those are influences on this, and they probably say just always, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And you know, with the and you know, like even just you could hear it on the. In terms of the sort of lumbering monolithic gate in that riff I just played, right from mm -hmm. Alpha Apex Lupine, right, you can hear an immortal vibe there too, right? Just in terms of the mood, right? Yeah. You're standing on top of the mountain, yelling. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but um. Uh, but like, uh, 
So, so those make sense as reference points for sure. Um, Amon Amarth also. Uh, I, you know, like in terms of maybe we should... Yeah, more than... I, I never understood Amon Amarth as an influence on them until I heard this record. Now I can, going back, I can kind of hear it in the first one, too. Uh, oh, I see. And, you know, these guys, I think, are a little older than us. They would be exactly the right age to have grown up listening to Amon Amarth seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. before Amon Amarth became kind of a, you know, turned themselves into a, a fun pop band. Um, yeah, yeah. I think okay. that's something that we're both going to touch on to some degree, the idea of different kinds of listening to some of these classic bands. Yeah, so, um, but I also associate those kinds of leads with just the uh, arrogant war metal tradition, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when I remember when I heard their first record, I associated a lot with Axis of Advance and the more death metal mm, okay. leads. So there was one song in particular on that called Through Heart and Lung that was kind of the banger. And that focused on this big sort of, uh, like, um, sort of majestically obvious trem riff, death, death metal trem riff, like, in, in the kind of like axis of advance way. And uh, the fir- they come off, there are a lot more riffs like that on this record. So you were pointing to that, too. And, yeah, Amon Amarth, I'm sure, is a reference. Um, and so on the beginning of Thunder and Oak, just this, they, they begin the record with a song called Thunder and Oak, which is sick. And you'll hear one of these big leads. You know, so we uh, 
And with the um, one of the sort of a riff on the uh, the Graveland motif. Yeah, well, they they like using that particular technique a lot. Just that rapid like half step alternation, kind of like almost in like a, a thrash way, uh, of that being a sort of center point for a riff that develops around it. I like that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They do make it a lot more thrashing. And you get melodies like that in Hate Forest and in the Blaze Birth bands too, right? It's just sort of like a classic Slav Black Slav Black melody there. But um it's cool that they just busted out very like here it's just that last phrase was just very explicit. It just focused on that without any of the uh texturing that usually comes in from the higher strings, right? Yeah, um, and I, that's one of the things I like is when they just commit to those more stripped down simple mm-hmm. moves. Yeah, and hearing that with like this da- thrashing downbeat drumming is pretty cool. Uh, yeah, that sort of thrashy feeling underpins the whole thing, right? Uh, and the there's so much, so much detail here. Someone on the Bandcamp, one of the first people, noted that this record really gives more and more on each listen. Uh, there's a ton of guitar layers going. Yes. On. And so one thing cool that I noticed there is, you know, they they're doing that mm-hmm. um and there's like a stagger. If you just listen to it quickly, it all blurs together and you hear it in the normal way you'd expect the melody to go, but there's actually a stagger where a lead leaps up. There's like um, there's this, this lead that hits just a bit later than you would think. And that like, instead of finishing the riff echoes the basic pattern of it. That's hard to describe, but people I think will hear what I mean. That sort of, that bright lead that pops out at the end of the main riff in a couple versions of it. It's so cool. I, I think that's part of what makes this record very good is that, I mean, a lot of this record is based off of, like, relatively simple or relatively traditional sort of interval choices just executed really smartly and with the depth of guys who are just super experienced musicians. Yeah, I would say that this track has more of the sort of meshing harmonies and clanging chord. This track has more of the difficult harmony uh, than... So, like, yeah, the last record had more of the kind of, um, you know, in those sort of, like, scowling cloud mass layers of chord. They had very dense, complex versions of that sort of Slavic harmony. Um, Mm -hmm. And really their own take on it. And this is one of the tracks where there's still a lot of that here in the chords. Um, But it is more direct, or direct might not be the right word, stripped down but not in a bad way than it was on the previous one. It's it's less, uh, it's more accessible, um, and it is uh, interacting with all these much more clearly, you know, less sort of textural, much more lead-oriented ideas. And speaking of that, uh, speaking of oh yes, <laughs> going for the big moments. Uh, this is this is a cool record. Um, so one of the things that I, in a, a more meta sense, that I want to say is something that I appreciate a lot since we started doing this show is I don't know if it's a recent trend or if it's something that was always there and I was just kind of out of the loop, but it feels like there's a lot more underground bands nowadays who are 
listening to some of the bigger classic bands and not really taking them for granted. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. uh, not seeing it as just kind of background radiation that's done already. Yeah. So some of my favorite parts of this record are where they're going to big, obvious stuff. They're going to a Monomarth, they're going to a Mortal, but then they're taking those basic frameworks and ideas and executing them in a deeper, you know, perhaps more difficult way that will still appeal to people who have just been listening to black metal for a shit ton of years like we have. Um, So we're going to go over to uh, the third track called Ether and Steel. Um, And this is, I I think this is an obvious, like just big banger of a track. Like this this would be the single if there was Mm -hmm. one. Um, So let's listen to this and let's talk about how they're taking some of these standard riff forms that we've heard before and playing with them in ways that are still exciting for people so many years into this style. note before we get into the riffing there um i love the vocal performance on this record mm-hmm. um it's so good it's so powerful and it, it's it's great when a black metal band does this and just asks the very simple question of like so why do black metal vocals have to be high why can't i just grunt like a berserker the whole time yeah yeah no please do that that's fucking awesome like <laughs> very much agree. The vocals are central to the personality of this, uh, and they're more resonant than the Senko growl. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. They've got their own personality. They're clearly inspired by that move 
of the, the hate mm-hmm. forest move, but they're, they've got their own personality. Uh, and part of the mood of this, part of the broader mood of American black metal right now, the serious stuff, is kind of virility, right? Virility and solidity. Uh, and this band doesn't maybe have the more bright solar vibe that some of those bands do. This is very, very grim and storming stuff, but like, even on tracks like this, this is a more sort of melancholy melodic song but uh they um you know the the vocals anchor the vocals and the sort of rude like unflashy but powerful bass performance really help anchor this even when it gets this melodic and flowery really help anchor it in a sense of just like manly presence yeah and it's it's one mm-hmm. of those things that reminds me it's like like you know we always talk about you going to black metal for like heaviness and aggression mm-hmm. and it's like this reminds me oh i i do like that too like black <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah heavy yeah. and it's it's still awesome it, it doesn't yeah, all it, have to be twinkly shit for me <laughs> yeah, yeah it's and it's heavy in a way that's convincing to you as a death metal guy oh yeah yeah this this matches up you know i would i would play with one of my death metal bands a show with these guys and it would make sense yeah yeah, yeah, um, yeah. but obviously we gotta talk about the riffs because these are i mean this is even for the record, as kind of accessible as it is, and always, I, I shouldn't need to clarify, but just for the sake of it, that's not a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with being accessible and having music that's approachable, even in this style. Um, but obviously, this track stands out in terms of, this is the lead single, this is the banger, this is third day at Vakken, warm beer, crushing it in the pit you know drunk mm-hmm. by 11 a.m type shit um and a lot of these riffing ideas are very inspired by like one sent from the golden hall and like at the heart of winter or later immortal um but what i think they're doing uh, the the way that they're keeping that fresh is well part of it is just because it's a raw performance it's a raw production um but additionally because they're they're using these basic forms of these kinds of riffs we've heard before, but then they're touching them up around the edges. And part of that is going to be from the Slavic influence, you know, the kind of Senko style textures on this track. They're just kind of popping up. It fills towards the ends of phrases, but they're Mm -hmm. still definitely there. And then some of it is coming, I think from a little bit of like uh, bright modern French stuff. Like I said, just around the edges, not the core of the riffs, but I think that's an influence here. Well, I think it's a big influence on this track. Um, like in some, those are the. It's those chords. It's, um, <laughs> it's like a mind. lot of yeah. a lot of the core riffs are with those the Franco Finnish style. Um, mm-hmm. The ones that aren't Amanamarthi, right? The leads sort of stand out in this Amanamarthi way. You could like. They have that sort of like sophisticated, bright vibe you get in Friends of the Sun Cross or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you also get uh, <laughs> that that sort of there's that gorgeous arpeggio, that sort of dyadic arpeggiated thing. You're saying that sounds pretty monomarth, right? That's pretty monomarth. But, but I was also pointing it out while I was playing because there's a similar dyadic phrase that they're using in the previous track that we sampled. Oh, they keep sure. coming back to those like dyad runs do, do, as do, a do, sort do, of do, like. Do. It, like, in the place of where a thrash chug would be, mm-hmm. like a little thrash triplet, they use that as a sort of base point to expand up or down from. And they're doing hmm. that there. Dude, and that part is just glorious. That has a nice architectural feel, vertical feel. Uh, and it just lifts up out of the music in a very unexpected way. And they don't really go back to it in that sequence, right? It's not a reg- it's not a long rep riff. Uh, but it's yeah. kind of like the... 
it's kind of a highlight there, and there's some real neoclassical nuance in how they form the form the arpeggios. I the other thing it reminds me of is Philip Glass. Um, obviously, <laughs> can, okay. like a lot more ro- weird way, yeah. a lot more robust. Um, I'd rather listen to this, but you know, yeah, imagine just <laughs> you know, like Koyana Scotsy or any of the Glassworks or whatever. The that's like a very Philip Glassy kind of thing to do. Um, I mean, I think a lot of those things are much better done by metal bands than you know dudes with orchestras. But um, <laughs> yeah, you got to be in the mood for glass, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, there's a certain mood, you know, sipping your coffee, looking at the rain out the window. And Phil, did you know Philip Glass, actually, his day job was a taxi driver? Really? That's one of those things that makes this like, oh, that's pretty, some of those New York guys are pretty fucking cool. <laughs> some of those guys are all right. Yeah, yeah they're all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, he, but um, anyway, I got sidetracked because we were talking about the leads. But yes, yeah, so there are those riffs. Um, and this track is the one that has the most of them and used the most in the way they are now. So of um, course I'm going to select that track. Of course you're going to select it. And of course I'm going to say, to me, in some ways, the emphasis on that side of things is a step away from the things that most captivated me about this band. Uh, mm-hmm. And there is more of that on this record. But when the riffs are that good... I mean, like, am I going to listen to this and love this song? Fuck yeah. And, like, and the way those those all just flow, riff on riff, and the way they're elegantly shaped, and the way that each version... There's not, unlike a lot of the bands using the Franco Finish style, right? There's not that just homogenous guitar tone and chord shape being bent in different kind of arbitrary note arrangements, right? There's yeah, there's no grid riffs here. Absolutely nothing even resembling a grid riff. Uh, these all have very clearly defined shapes, um, and uh, and each riff is harmonized somewhat differently. Even the ones that are all written in that same Franco Finnish style. Right? There's not yeah. like a, um, so there's real the, harmonic depth. There's a you unique can, harmonic language. Yeah, I almost wonder like this is this is very self consciously written to be the banger. Again, self conscious not in a bad way. I can almost picture him laughing as he knocks these riffs out. Not in a sense of like we're doing this as a joke, but in a sense of, you know, hey, you know, like uh, I hear all these other young whippersnappers playing these triumphant riffs. Let me whip these out. Like, <laughs> ha ha, ha ha ha, ha ha, look how many of these I can play. Sort of like those moments where you're like on the battlements with the battle axe and the dudes are coming up one side and you're just laughing at them, smacking them with the battle axe. It's kind of like that. <laughs> um, you know, as one does. Um, <laughs> Always, every weekend. But speaking of things that make really good use of, that is tracks that... Prominently features those riffs, but integrates them with uh, uh, integrates them with the old Rubazal, the more sort of clanging, ringing, densely harmonized Slavic style, and the uh, hate forest type dark minor scales, and the the scowling inhuman mood. Uh, we've got my favorite track, "Meditations of a Tyrant."
On lone winter nights, when the wind is unsparing, I can still hear the screams of the wounded and dying. I recklessly spent the lives of good men. I have been cruel, sometimes unjustly, and avenged myself beyond the limit of the gods. I never won the love of my people. I never turned the hearts of the peoples whose lands I crushed. No. But they honor me. And the horns of my fathers beckon me to the High Council. Would I do it all again? I would. And in due time, I shall. <laughs> is that a is that a creative writing exercise or is that from something? Uh, that's uh, that's that's meditations of a tyrant. I just I, I that's I just wrote it. Yeah. Um, oh, okay, nice. Yeah, yeah. That's the, the song just immediately suggests all that. <laughs> guest uh, guest performance by Robert Baratheon over here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, obviously that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, fucking awesome. I mean, do we even need to comment almost? Like, it's just... No, I think... Uh, I mean, it kind of speaks for itself. I, I I guess I would point out there's definitely um, got the vibe of some of those uh, slower songs on later Immortal Records there. Especially mm-hmm. that, that huge riff towards the end, that... Well, yeah. that got me thinking of another thing. The main riff to this song, which is voiced much more like a hate forest riff, also mm-hmm. has this, which is kind of Celtic pentatonic thing in it. Yeah. I am sure. The other thing that I I would say this is a hypothesis normally, but I'm sure the other thing that's bleeding through into the more sort of glorious lead work and even the big chug parts is Solstice UK. Uh, okay. Known to all men of culture. And uh, <laughs> o- o- occupying a uh, a somewhat similar territory to this record in particular, um, in that it is uh, florid and melodic, you know, that more so than this, right? Florid and melodic, and um, but anchored in a very grim sense of like medieval darkness, uh, and mm-hmm. with uh, a lot of that sort of. Um, uh, flourishing lead work that doesn't lack a kind of um, attack to it. Yeah, so it's it. Well, I think that goes back to the things I was saying, you know, this wonderful fusion of, you know, bigger metal ideas, mm-hmm. but played in the manner that we really respect as, like, yeah. dedicated underground oh, metal guys. Oh, you know what? And the other thing I'm surprised you didn't mention here is Winterfilleth. Um... To a degree, but I think, think these about guys that, are coming that at... big lead. Think about that, like sort of the really one where I was just laughing, like ah, they earned this, you know the. Yeah, I right? think the I think the way they implement these things is just so different from Winterfellith. I didn't really draw that connection. Just certain the mode of sentimentality they hit at times, like with that riff. Like, that riff is very close to kinds of riffs other bands have written. I'm on a Marth too, right? Um, and, and it moves through exactly the intervals you would expect in that way, but I've never heard it done so well. Um, just mm-hmm. total necessity. Um, and, and set up by the song. But, like, it's a bit Winterfell thing. I feel like a lot of the sweeter parts on this record are. And I have to say, bud, while we're on the subject, this is a... a this is a... It's taken a lot for me to say this, but I went back and listened to Threnody of Triumph, and I like it a lot better than I did back in the day. 
Yeah, it's the it's the world's best metalcore album. <laughs> it's got it's um I just you know I'm I'm more able to just get down with the more sort of uh, the more sort of blissed out or flowery aspects of it. And uh, yeah, you, can, you and, can't listen to the Swart Raven and not be like, okay. No, well, right. I always liked yeah. I always liked that one, but yeah, no the um and also just I hear shading in the guitar like. It is still a relatively monochrome kind of nice sounding guitar style, but like I hear a lot more internal variation in it than I used to be able to it, just because I've been listening to shit longer. Yeah, I was you know, actually. I'm, I was I'm actually, no uh, longer at. I'm no longer as. I'm no longer angry at them for not being hate forest. Um, <laughs> <it's>, uh, <laughs> I was actually uh, trying to uh, just play around with some Winterfell stuff mm-hmm. on guitar the other day. It's actually a lot more complex than you would think at first blush. There's a lot of uh, a lot of very big broad chords hiding in those tremolo riffs like five string chords that they're strumming all the way through it's it's interesting yeah and you know and sanko takes them seriously enough to like i don't know i think he did a split with them and shit so you know that that says something but uh, although he also hung out with nash so (laughs) (laughs) all right well to wrap this up for the sake of time all right so voyage towards the end of the record um this is going to be kind of a, a deep cut structural thing. So what we're going to listen to is a lot of the same kind of stuff we've heard before. Um, but I want to talk about specifically the idea of let's do what we call affectionately on the show stadium black metal in mm-hmm. a way that makes sense for guys like us or guys that are really into underground music. Um, okay. Well, and maybe, maybe it's just a matter of like in a case like this, what if we put instead of, a riff or two between the choruses. What if we put like four in there and create yeah. a really narrative thing, you know, really earn that big resolution at the end. And uh, so let's check this sample out. And that's, that's what you're going to hear.
So yeah, lots of lots of great riffs, lots of things that could be big moments on their own if given the import, but in this context, they're just treated as a string of riffs building upon each other. So even though these are melodies you may have heard something like before, they've never been treated like this. You know, they've never been used purely in the sense that they're part of a progressive structure, you know, slowly building on itself like the best black metal does. It's interesting you chose this as or in relation to the stadium black metal thing, because I hear that from the last riff for sure. That's just a huge, you know, that's like the climax of the record. That's just like, yeah, right? Um, uh, and it's an organic evolution on some phrases that are already in the riffola preceding it, right? Uh mm-hmm. But what uh, it's in, but a lot of that strikes me. This track, in fact, I think maybe in term not maybe not quite as much in terms of mood as "Meditations of a Tyrant," but in terms of like a, um, a riffing style, this is maybe the most hate foresty on there. Um, huh. In terms of just a lot of those rolling riffs you just heard there, the you know, um, the more darker versions of it that come before the really catchy version at the end. Um, those are, have maybe a few more notes in them, uh, but that's exactly how some of the more riffy moments in Hate Forest, Old Hate Forest, are written, and especially on the new record, you get a lot like that. Um, uh, but what he's doing, as you say, you're right, it's, this is way more riffy. (laughs) Like, in terms of number of riffs and the way they're transitioning fluidly, and just, like, the idea, like, okay, we could do, like, instead of doing one sort of cascading big uh lead centered drone riff for like four minutes we could do like two back to back like that and then throw into another cool section yeah Um, no there's a there's a lot of elaborate variation there's a lot of cool stuff i mean it's it's a it's a really good album i i probably should have mentioned runefire records at one point shouldn't i hey all this is brandon from cromley and you're listening to terminus All right, we are back, uh, and I'm uh, I'm very glad to have these guys back on the show. Um, like I mentioned up front, this is a split between Elcrost, who we uh, featured last year uh, with their EP Foregone Fables, and uh, now they are back with a split with Vixenta from Australia. Uh, this is our first exposure to them. Although, interesting, uh, weird little note, apparently Vixenta at one point, uh, Jared Moran... Uh, was uh, playing drums for them uh, from uh, Evaporated Sores and... Uh, oh, weird. Yeah, and uh, damn, what was that other band we covered with uh, with Nick uh, from Hessian Firm? Oh, um, oh yeah, the um, the good, the very good sort of death-grinding cryptopsy thing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, reference, like, it, um, reference it in the... Well, actually, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to pull it up. That's that's not fair of me. Uh, Maggot Crown. Yeah, Cryptic and World Secure. Uh, Very cool. So, yeah, apparently he was, uh, I guess, doing session drums for them for a couple years uh, remotely. Um, So, Elcrossed, the last time we had them on the show, uh, like I said, you know, we we, we covered them fairly early uh, when we started the podcast. And uh, we we became pretty good friends with one of the members. And uh, 
We liked that EP a lot. Um, obviously, it was kind of like a young band with room for improvement, but there is a, a core of something really cool there. Um, so for those who haven't heard that, uh, sort of progressive-tinged, melodic, black death stuff, Opeth is a big influence, uh, there's a, a gothic atmosphere that pervades the whole thing, very, um, sort of, I don't, what would you call it, like, romantic Victorian-era Europe? Um, no, he's he's really influenced by um, they're they're really influenced by the decadent phase, so late nineteenth century art, and and yeah, it would roughly correspond maybe to some of the late Victorian period in England, but okay, especially by the decadent you would use especially for the French, especially stuff after Baudelaire. I think mm-hmm. um, I think I, I think uh, Huang Dao wrote uh, that uh, Rambo is a big that's R I M B A U D is a big influence on the new one. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's, he's seriously interested in, uh, I think, uh, you know, these guys are all sort of seriously interested in, uh, just the history of culture and art in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I didn't realize until I looked it up that, uh, Huang Dao, um, actually does all the art for L crossed as well. Oh yeah, dude. His art page. Yeah. Um, honestly, yeah, this is all public. People should follow him. His art page, uh, long name. So long name is so pretentious with underscores in between them is, uh, <laughs> really cool stuff. That's often in this sort of, uh, maybe, you know, if it's British kind of Edwardian kind of art, uh, maybe art deco. I don't know. Kind of, kind of Edwardian decadent goth kind of art. And uh, it also has this flare of sort of, um, Asian woodcut printing yes. and like flat yeah, yeah, yeah. colors and stuff. It's it's a super cool merge of Eastern and Western art, which I think is sort of becoming Elcrost's thing, or it mm-hmm. just is, you know. Yeah. Um. So. Oh, I should say also. Uh, full disclosure. He 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 was okay with us saying this. Full disclosure. Uh, Huang Gao is is a patron of the show. Yeah, yeah, he signed up with us, and uh, oh. that, that's that's fucking awesome. He's a really cool dude, and he's doing mm-hmm. really awesome music. And now, I think, to get to this split, okay, Elcross has really arrived now. Like, this is, like, really enjoyed the last EP, but this is just categorically a step up in every pertinent what, dimension, I think. What's the cliche? Quantum Leap? Um, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's, it's just evident from the first note. It just sounds so much better. It fills the room on big speakers. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know I don't care very much about production, but, like, if you're doing digital produced stuff, right, it can't sound thin and sterile. It has to sound yeah. big, and this sounds really big. Yeah, this was that was one of our big criticisms of the last one was that the, uh, the production was just kind of flat and kind of mm-hmm. sterile. Not a problem here now. It's still clearly a home job, but there's just, in the past year since the last record, the production abilities uh, of, I believe it is uh, their bassist, um, who I believe is also the guy from Vong, uh, if I'm remembering that. that That might be a little closer, that might be, um, God, we should have looked this up, um, it was, uh, it was a while back where... No, no, it's no. Vong is a friend of theirs. Um, he may have played live with them, or they may have played live with him to play his stuff live. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, uh, Elcross is a separate yeah. deal. So uh, who's so our, uh, yeah, the bassist and, you know, sound guy is credited as Lunar Hayes, 
And then there's another, uh, yeah, Lunar Haze. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, so um, uh, excellent production this time around, and uh, the songwriting has just taken a big jump up. Um, so we've got we've got two sides to cover. So I'm going to get to the samples relatively quickly. Um, so each band has contributed two tracks, sort of a, a short track and a long track. Um, so I'm just going to dive in with uh, "Hunters of Dawn" and "Eventide" by mm-hmm. Elcrost. Uh, this is going to be there's a kind of an extended intro that's a few minutes long on the song. We're going to come in right at the end of that, right when the the sort of ripper riffs start, mm-hmm. and uh, let, let's see what they've been doing for the past year. just immediately huge riffs right from the beginning uh reminds me of the stuff that we heard off the uh the tracks that we liked the most off the release last year like a uh, rape of a nymph that sort of mm-hmm. thing there was a real um, one like one or two just incredible riffs on that that had this kind of uh uh arch gothic feel yeah and i i think that's something that these guys have really leaned into uh, to the mm-hmm. point where I think, like, sort of initially we described them as kind of proggy. I think the real accurate description now is they're kind of like a gothic black metal band. Yeah, I think that's for sure. <clears throat> you know, especially if you go into <laughs> into the lyrics for their side of the split, which are fucking phenomenal. Oh my god! And oh, I haven't even had a chance to take a look yet. Uh, but well, I bet I'll just I'm do. I'll do a couple quick stanzas that are just outstanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Striding ablaze on golden wagon, the eight-legged horse pushed forth, pacing like lightning and thunder. Ulf's piercing howls lacerated the sky. Drip, drip, alveolus. Trampled to death for a thousandfold, the talons speared forth through plains of gold. Vagrants, surrenders, deceivers, and prey heed the choirs of Bane, a hymn of dismay. <laughs> it's fucking wow. awesome! Heed, heed, that. the sound of silence. Heed, heed, the call of Woden, freely roamed in the hunt. Damn! Oh, it's so good! You know? And yet it's also, you know, because obviously they're they're drawing from the well of Norse mythology there, but it still has this distinct, it really is like Roman mythology from like a decadent British poet. You know, it's a, a, an amazingly realized aesthetic in this music. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's a... Uh... Yeah, it's it's interesting to to use Norse stuff in this aesthetic context is interesting because these reference points so often just get patched on to uh, Satanism and blah blah blah. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, the next one uh, El- uh, is uh, I think supposed to be written from the perspective of Pan, the you know the goat god Pan, the forest god, seeing a sleeping sleeping nymph. So again, uh, in Elcross world, nymphs are in trouble. It's, uh, <laughs> lots and lots of problems for nymphs. It's, <laughs> although you know, the, so so it is in the mythology too, right? It's a, yeah, that's it's a, true. It's a hard hard day's work being a nymph. Um, um, so so yeah, uh, you were pointing out also that sort of cascading lead over the first big riff. Uh, the first big riff comes in and it's a little like chord progressiony, but it's just so good, right? That the power chord one, it's just very uh, and it. The, the progression moves in a somewhat unexpected way, and it's just very well done. And then you're like, oh, wait, this is the rhythm part for that huge lead, right? The da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da. Yeah, yeah. Right. You know, it's got, it's got that, like, that very simple kind of Beethoven quality to it. Um, and what something but, that I had compared but these guys these to... these sliding, narrow half-steps that make it seem more late 19th century, that make it seem more sinister, more decadent, you know, uh, more like a French yeah. melody. A kind oh, of melody that's vaguely gestured at in a lot of the vampiric BM, um, but never really but like, committed to in the way that this is. Yeah, here it's here. These guys are, I think, more in touch with the root source, even more probably than Willie was. Um, oh yeah, in some ways. And well, uh, <laughs> and it's also the and the predominant influence just to a lot of those riffs is I had compared, uh, I'd compared it on the previous EP that a lot of this stuff sounded like some of the best moments of early Cradle of Filth. And then, you know, I think it was Huang Dao said it was, yeah, no, we never actually listened to Cradle of Filth. It sounds like they went back to that well and explored that a little bit more and incorporated those ideas more fully. And Mm -hmm. they've just become even better for it. Yeah. So um, also I want to point out there's some later in the song, because this is a long song that's very well pulled off. Uh, there is a very good moment of like real goth rock type stuff where a lot oh, of freedom is, is given awesome. to the. It's yeah. really good. If we could sample more, we would. Uh, but a lot of freedom is given to the bassist. Um, and oh, the, the bass, bassist, the is, bass work is awesome. Yes, um, and there's a big sort of, and it's not even neatly imitating any one gothy. It's not Joy Division bass. It's not like Killing Joke bass. But you can hear him absorbing all of that, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Absorbing like Bauhaus and. Uh, the sort of 
uh, Nephilim, all that, and the bass just like swooping up in these big arcs, doing a lot more rapid motion than you usually get in gothy stuff, but it fits perfectly with that vibe, and really like cool cascading arpeggio guitar stuff. I said cascading for the second time in this review. Uh, um, uh, you know, shout out to Cascada. Um, but, um, uh, but, but it's, a very cool, big goth moment that doesn't sound like now we're doing a goth rock part. It fits organically into the black metal song. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Also, I keep snorting. I'm, I'm congested. Sorry guys. Uh, but, um, (laughs) so in terms of influences that, um, things we mentioned on the last review that actually seem to be showing up here somewhat uh uh dawn right uh there i mentioned that one of those big riffs on rape of a nymph sounded like a dawn riff um there is much more of a so i this band has always been into opeth but this other more sort of uh severe melodic black death side you know of the swedish sound is more prominent here uh song comes in uh calendula comes in on a riff that's very much in the dawn vein the rest of the track doesn't have that kind of influence so directly, uh, but it, it permeates the most sort of uh, the big, flashy Swedish riffs. That, uh, um, you know, this is a sequence of things in that vein, uh, and let's listen to that.
You know what's a really <laughs> metal lyric? One by one. Um, always. Yeah, <laughs> always. Yeah. Always. Dude, that that fucking choral part though. That surprised um I'm sure our listeners were not expecting that. That just yeah, you, your jaw was on the floor when you heard that, right? Dude, yeah, yeah, it was surprising. When I first heard that, it I was, was like, surprising me hearing it again. <laughs> you know the meme with the guy where he's bending backwards further and further? It's like, oh, like, oh, oh, oh! <laughs> uh, oh, Vince um, McMahon, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Vince McMahon <laughs> thing, yeah. That was definitely the moment, because it's like, what the fuck, are they doing that? And then it was like... He's singing no. He's singing the. He's, he's doing this sort of like high, uh, y- you know, this this wailing, distended wailing, and he's hitting all the notes, and the voice is clear and not forced, and it sounds good. It just yeah. it's and and that initial choral effect, like the like the production on this is like these are just these are. This is another good example of like modern underground bands engaging with like big stadium sized 90s metal and taking it seriously and just like using taking full advantage of digital production to just go do it themselves. Oh yeah. No, it's a it, it's such a so obviously all the riffs that surround that are great, but that's like that's the climax of their side, the split, clearly. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of cool that it occurs on the shorter song rather than the longer one. This is like the the more compressed banger song and just the fact that they they stick the landing so well on that is it's just super impressive and i can't wait for them to elaborate on ideas like that more on another full length or something i mean the whole point is that the big bands everyone learned to hate them because they kept doing shit like that and it sucked yeah, what if we just right. did it good for once? <laughs> yeah, 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 do it good. Do it but do it again with good. Um <laughs> other thing I want to point out just is that um you know, you've pointed out, I think correctly, right, that a lot of the uh Vietnamese stuff has this kind of androgyne quality to it, right? Or yeah, it's like yeah. in touch with the more feminine side of the world. And we're hearing that more in modern black metal like uh, Narboleth, for instance. Um Yeah, yeah. Very attuned to the divine feminine. Uh um, and I think these guys would fully like to agree with that in terms of the decadent thing, both in terms of a kind of embarrassing and androgynous aesthetic, but also just sort of fascination with, right? There's a very, frankly, sexual quality to this music, too, just fascination with women, right? Oh, it's, dude, it's this a, is really horny music. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, no, he, he, yeah, yeah, though the lyrics to this song, which I haven't read yet, are apparently uh, very horny. Um, but um, They're ex- very exceedingly horny. Yes, and (laughs) they're like Deftones, horny. (laughs) Yeah, so like goth, you know, goth decadent. Um, But the cool thing is that within that, right, there's some God Pan in this song too. There's it's there's a there's a masculinity at work as well uh, Mm -hmm. in terms of like the mellow death approach at the beginning, right? The Swedish stuff. That's not fruity mellow death. That's like uh, that that first riff has almost the form of an in flames riff. But the way it's played in that sort of bouncing, thrashing way with those sort of flourishes at the end, it comes off as, like, aggressive and driving. And the riffs that develop after that, too, are, like, those are, like, sort of uh, fist-up heavy metal riffs. Yeah. No, it's a... Mm. It's, it's a... Like, those are, those are man, manly, melodic Swedish Black Death riffs. Yeah. Um, really, what we're looking at on this side of the split is Elcrost has taken 
all the elements that they were great at from that EP, they've cut out some of the stuff that wasn't working as well. And as a result, we have something way more organic and just way more polished sounding and just awesome. And I can't wait to hear these guys do a full length with this new established sound. For sure. All right. So. Vixenta. uh, Australian uh, described as post-black band, which I I guess is appropriate. Although now I'm second-guessing everything after... uh, after listening to Damien from uh, Robes of Snow talk about the the post black versus atmospheric black dilemma on our uh, this is definitely post black, yeah, this is definitely post black. But I think mm-hmm. it's post black coming from a very different angle. Mm-hmm. Um, so post black, I mean, naturally the logic of that music has always been, uh, you know, post rock meets black metal, and you know the whole black gaze thing has kind of fallen into that too post but so really post black is this aggregate term that means black metal more or less influenced by different kinds of rock music um so it's it's very broad it doesn't really tell you a lot about it but what i think is interesting about it vixenta is that I feel like the primary influences outside of black metal aren't really coming from post black excuse me, from post-rock, but uh, more like 90s alt-rock, um, which is a very strange thing to hear, but one that actually works extremely well. I don't think this really works as black metal, um, but I don't think no, that's no. the intent. It, this is not really riff-based in the way that we think of it. This is structurally much more like very ambitious alternative rock um, with a lot of influences outside of itself wrapped up in a sort of black metal aesthetic. And uh, honestly, when I heard this side, I I actually really enjoyed it. I anticipated you really disliking it, but it turns out you actually, you found a lot to enjoy here. So uh, yeah, I would say it, it's fine. It's, um, I, I like, you <laughs> that's, know... Um, that's huge praise coming from yes, you for yes. anything post-black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is, uh, and, you know, uh, more than that, I think it's good. Uh, it, um... I, I think about Vic, Vince, Vicenta, the thing that is important, and is important in good post-black, uh, is that it be honest, right? So, not yes. trying to be black metal, and also not trying to deliver some kind of novelty um mm-hmm. uh and also probably not sounding like post-rock um but, but um uh, this <laughs> yeah, is that, that um, helps yeah <laughs> yeah so um and yeah you you might think okay so then it must sound like shoegaze and i was listening to these because they're really not there's i'm sure he likes shoegaze but these really aren't shoegaze chords i think you're right about the alt-rock thing the the uh you know the yeah, you're no, you're right about that. Um, and there are certain various kinds of alt rock cording coming in this very chord based music. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, these aren't these aren't really metal riffs. They are more riffs based off chord structures like rock music. Yeah, so why don't you play them Phantom Blood? Because I think that'll. I'm gonna play Phantom Blood, and uh, for everybody listening, I mean, you've seen the notes, so you already predict uh, what I'm gonna say, but. Listen to this sample with 90s alt-rock in your mind, 
and see if you can predict by the end of the sample who I think one of the biggest influences on this side of the split is. Alright. I think the the alt rock is pretty apparent to me there and i think very specifically a lot of the ideas on this side are coming from melancholy and the infinite sadness era smashing pumpkins um and actually you know i i stepped outside to grab a smoke real quick with my wireless headphones while i was playing and i i sung tonight tonight to yeah i was myself. gonna say yeah i was just thinking that to some you with the smile Cause yeah, and I was like, because I had, I suspected yeah. it was the in the same key, and yes, this is the same key as tonight, tonight. Oh yeah, no, it's really the chords too, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Dude, you, could, you could, yeah, sing you could sing that melody over this. Yeah, you can sing it across it, and it matches up perfectly, and mm. that's awesome. I I love that because I think it's safe to say that like in terms of '90s alt rock, Smashing Pumpkins is like one of the pinnacles, right? Yeah, it's the best. Yeah, as far as shit that metalheads should be going back and listening to, that and, uh, like, uh, Siamese Dream and Melancholy are incredible records. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I was just listening to Siamese Dream again the other day. And, and although this guy's focusing on all the parts of Pumpkins that are the most alt-rock, um, as far as those bands having a substantial relationship to metal, like, my God, I'll take uh, Billy Corgan's version of it over at Soundgarden's any day. Um, oh yeah, well, Billy Corgan, has, I, I think, has said in interviews that heavy metal is a, a major influence to him. Oh yeah, no, I mean, it, it has, I mean, he probably, I mean, he surely listened a lot to Metallica, but he probably also, like, was aware of, uh, 
You know, what was that Chicago death metal band that everyone forgets about that was good? <laughs> uh, <laughs> like half of them throughout. Yeah, that's that's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. So, and I think that listening to those kinds of chords played in this context is fascinating. And actually, like just looking it up, you know, as we talk, the lyrics for this side are fucking outstanding as well, and they're crazy warlike black metal lyrics set really? against this. Yeah, dude. Yeah, King of the Blood, betrayed, no choice but to escape. My kin has gone insane, not who he once was, summoned by the Lord of Darkness, commanding his night hordes across the land. You know, like, <laughs> what the fuck? We've got, like... It sounds like uh, Dark Souls. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like Dark Souls, where it sounds like, uh... Like, uh, In the Nightside Eclipse lyrics or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I love that juxtaposed against this very beautiful, kind of wistful music. Um, it's... It, it, it's such a different take on post-black and one that I think a lot of people could learn from. You know, it, and like you kind of suggested earlier, it succeeds so well because it's not really trying to be black metal in a traditional way. So what, and it's kind of like, remember that record that, the Janoon record, a sort yeah, of Slavic yeah. post-black thing that was really awful, except for the last song had a big, broad, smashing pumpkins gesture that we both liked. Yes, yes. So this is, is like true. that as the whole band, which is cool. Uh, yeah, why don't we, why don't um, we just do the cool part forever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what do you make of the vocals here? Because I was thinking, like, I understand. So at the very beginning of the sample, right, you're getting the arpeggi- delicate arpeggiated version. You get the the screams, and the screams are pretty good. They're pretty wrenching. They got a bit of the Danny Filth quack in there um, at mm-hmm. the back, but like they're very plausible over the loud parts. Over the loud parts, they sound just miserable and nasty in a nice way that, uh, in a way that balances out the sweetness of the guitars, which is clearly the intent. Um, there's in their screamos classic screamo stuff and certainly depressive black metal where the whole point is that over the delicate parts the the harsh vocals are supposed to sound awkward mm-hmm. um yeah but here they really do over some of the quieter parts and it's got me wondering where like i mean i don't it, strange of me to be asking for this but i almost wonder if he should experiment with a cleaner or somewhat different style of vocal on those softer parts I, I think uh, I know even what just you're for some grungy, about. soft, loud effect. Yeah, I think that could thing. work. I think it's mostly a mixing issue, though, because something I did notice is that the vocals do seem very loud, even mm-hmm, during mm-hmm. the 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 hardest parts of yeah, this yeah, music. Yeah, that, that's certainly true. I think maybe just knocking them down a few decibels would solve a lot of the problems immediately. Um, I, I think that if they just sat in the mix a little bit more rather than be, you know, resting on top of it, it would all kind of put itself together. Now, I wouldn't discourage the idea of maybe incorporating some of those sort of grungy style vocals because I think, I mean, that's where this band seems to be at inherently. So I, I, I think that would probably be a natural win, but I, I think the primary issue here is just they're just kind of too loud in general. Just dial them back a little bit and then I think the problem solves itself. 
All right, cool. So after that uh, last, last night at Goth Prom, song or alternative prom, um, <laughs> we, we have uh, the sorrowful screams of a thousand wicked souls. Okay, so this one's about hell. Uh, and um, Actually, this here, appears to be the one that's more about a girl. I can't tell. I, I like how these guys are constantly uh, frustrating our expectations. <laughs> Dude, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, uh, so the, um, the, so Sorrowful Screams, right? Last song on the whole EP. It's a pretty long EP, uh, and this is the longer of the two tracks, right? So they're basically tasked with bringing it home here. And mm. it's like, okay, well, you're a post-black band, but you gotta do a, you know, there's gotta be a heavy part at some point. Uh, so, uh, here's the heavy part. Let's see how they, how he pulls it off.
So that was very heavy, but does that really sound like black metal? No, although I'm I'm interested in what you described it as, because I, I feel like I have a very different read on it. Okay, well, like, to me it sounds like, you know, when the breakdown hits, it's just big kind of root to octave, uh, big sort of expansive whole note root octave phrases, uh, sort of staggered over the drums, not entirely losing momentum, but sort of working as a breakdown. Uh, and that and the sort of textures... Uh, combined with the particular high screams just remind me of Amun-Ra and kind of neurosis European Atmos sludge stuff. Okay. I hate I that I used the word Atmos sludge. I don't believe in atmospheric sludge. Sorry, let me rephrase that. Um, <laughs> it was a better term than post-metal. Right. That's <laughs> certainly true. That's certainly true. Now everyone calls, I can't, I can't believe I mean, they, neurosis gets called post-metal. <laughs> okay, we should, I should just call neurosis a stenchcore band. That's fair. I mean, it's <laughs> as close to that as it is anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I mean, what I would say is, like, listening to that, I, I get where you're coming from, but what if it was just, like, modernized Peaceville? What if it was just, like, modern, like, Paradise Lost or Catatonia? That would fit very well with, uh, that would explain why this dude hangs with Elcrust. Yeah, yeah, uh, that or even um, uh, Hanging Garden, you know, mm-hmm. we were uh, Oh, it is a little like Hanging Garden. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah, like uh, Hanging Garden obviously uh, compresses everything down into these, like, very tight kind of pop metal songs, and this is more expansive, but a lot of the techniques seem to be kind of similar in the way the kind of heavy, sort of doomy riffs are executed. You know, also, Hanging Garden is kind of in that tradition of uh, also... Hanging Garden also fits into that sort of, like, uh, heavy, heavy punk-based European uh, sad metal or, or uh, sort of uh, textured, textured heavy, slow stuff. Uh, yeah, so like, I think kind of a, a convergence of different ideas. Exactly. Like, hang it, that, I guess what I mean is that convergence between the Peaceville stuff and the Amon Ra stuff and the Cult of Luna stuff is kind of in Hanging Garden as well. Yeah. Mm. No, but it's, uh, it is very nice, and it, that's where you can hear, you can hear a little bit of the post-rock creep in just with this, you know, slow unfolding elaboration of these simple ideas, but... The the aggregate effect is something, you know. It's like you know the problem with uh, the problem with post rock is that it's in too much of a liminal space between ideas that are cooler than it. You know, it's like mm-hmm. uh, you could either be a full like epic metal band or you could be a cool tightly wound alt rock band, and it, it kind of feels like. Like these guys said, well, why go for the space in between? Let's just combine the best parts of both.
from our break, whatever it was when we decide what to put in for the break, with uh, Serpent Column's new EP, Catartasis, out now on Mystus Chaos, now distributed through Dissociative Visions. So, this is, uh, so we talked about in our interview with uh, Serpent Column last fall, uh, this is the this forms a definite place in a kind of cycle of records which have moved from uh, full length to EP to full length to EP to full length and now to EP, right? Sort of, sort of on the model that DSO did in their, in their central period or heyday. Um, and uh, it's clear that this is the close of this particular cycle and I think the question remains will there be another one? I think that's an open question. There are things about this record that give it a strong note of finality, like finality, finality, but there are also things that suggest maybe not. Um, you know, uh, certainly this is being, uh, the way that record's being presented at least suggests it is uh, another run in a continuing entity. So I guess we'll see. Um, like a lot of the EPs, it is, or like all the EPs, it has a shoot-from-the-hip quality, sort of impulsive, uh, exploratory. Uh, I would say that Invicta was, you know, Invicta was very exploratory. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, Endless Detainments, which was very popular, was more sort of, uh, go, you know, uh, go for the guttural, blasted, aggressive, uh, 
lots of hardcore influence up front, uh, and sounds that sort of bled into Katoto's the last full length a little bit. Um, and but, but that record also had a kind of adventurous or experimental uh, thing to it because it was so uh, the songs were so short and blistering, one or two, often like one, sometimes one riff, basically, right? Really grinding. Um, in a way that related to things that we'd heard on Serpent Column before, but was uh, totally on a different level of scale uh, and yep. structure. Um, and uh, this EP feels more like it's meant to be a... Uh, it's still, you know, the the for, basic format of Endless Detainments has been preserved. These are very short songs for the most part, with one exception. Um and they're very high intensity. They also have a feeling like maybe they were, some of them were maybe semi-improvised um, mm-hmm. in a sort of blasted out kind of way. Uh, so it has that vibe, but it does feel more consolidating than those last two. In the same way that Katoto's kind of consolidated certain kinds of things achieved over the first two full lengths and, and, and the EPs. Uh, so, in you know, a quick and dirty way of describing this would be like, the endless detainments format, but with a lot of, with more, more of the uh, severe death, black death riffing, and more of the lush melodic color that you get on Katodos, and a little bit on the more melodic parts of Mirror and Darkness. Um, so there, that's where it sits in the Serpent Column cycle or catalog. Uh, what did you make of a death metal guy? This was interesting. Uh, I've got some... So I I think that in terms of the Serpent Column discography, um, which I had heard pieces of, but I listened to in full front to back for the first time uh, before we did that interview last year, um, I think this ranks as possibly my favorite Serpent Column release, uh, kind of in contention with the Invicta EP. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- there's something about Serpent Column's EPs that tend to stick with me a little bit better than the full lengths, and I've got ideas for why that might be. And well, I, mean, I mean, I guess I'll get to it now. This record, for me, really scans m- much more like a very advanced, very complex, very intense hardcore record than mm-hmm. it does a heavy metal record to me um so obviously and i feel like that's almost a juxtaposition between the eps and the full lengths i feel like the full lengths tend to be much more clearly on the metal side of the spectrum obviously both sides are influencing each other across the entire discography but i feel like the eps tend to be uh especially rhythmically explorations of different dimensions that aren't necessarily always carried to the full lengths um this uh so well the very liquid sound on invicta creeps into certain parts of certain songs and i think increased the fluidity in his playing in general but yeah that that general approach to really elongated fluctuating oceanic kind of rhythms has not really come back as a major thing yeah, and Invicta is one of my favorites because uh, it's got this uh, this very strange atmosphere of sort of like gnarly introspective, like uh, black metal meets very severe screamo in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. 
and the screamo definitely returns on oh, this sure. record, like very, mm-hmm. very dis- possibly more distinctly than it ever has in the Serpent Comet. Yes, no, I think that's that's true. But in addition, uh, you know the the thing that people always say, and the thing that we complain about, and I think we touched on on the uh, the interview was uh, the <laughs> referring to endless detainment as blackened math core um, which is a uh, I understand how people from outside of extreme music uh, approach it uh, from that perspective but that's clearly not really the idea of what was going on I mean, grindy, certainly, hardcore, certainly, mathcore, it doesn't have anything to do with Dillinger Escape Plan or anything like that. Um, Maybe loosely in the sense that it's disciplined and fiercely technical, but, you know, the basic basic song formats on Endless Detainment were, like, hardcore and minimalist black metal. Yeah, we're we're not talking about, like, a a psyops record. There was, you know, thrash, there was, like, a Slayer riff on that. Yeah, and I, I, I think that I think that what will inevitably happen, unfortunately, is people will say the same thing about a lot of the stuff on this record. They'll think of it from a, like a, a math core perspective. Um, Dude, I'm I, just gonna I'm while we're on that subject, we're only gonna do it once, right? Because this has been a theme for us: is you know, Serpent Column is a band that is has attracted a following that does not particularly only understands a couple dimensions of it, if that, mm-hmm. and uh, and on the other side it should be because it occupies this has interested a bunch of the sort of internet art metal crowd uh it w- has not attracted interest from the underground to the same degree which is a shame because this is very very serious music uh but yeah. um so that's a thing we harp on the only thing i'll say to that note is just uh the best band camp review is blistering matthew technical black metal uh, it's all of those and none of those. The sum is greater than the parts. It's definitely has similarities to Aransi Pazuzu, but way more aggressive. The guitar work juxtaposed with the blast beats also recalls Infant Island a little. Uh, hmm. I had to look up Infant Island. It's like a screamo band, but um, uh, like a new one, like a black yeah. screamo band. But uh, Aransi Pazuzu. Okay. That's I the mean, like Finnish, Finnish weebly woobly cosmish psych thing. Yeah, yeah. It's like I don't know, it's it's like Serpent Column is a Rorschach test for your biases in music. You know? It's like what I think it sounds want? like jism. Yeah, I mean you can say that as <laughs> as much as you can that it sounds like yeah. anything else. Yeah. Um so since this is an EP, we've only got a sample a piece and uh, we sampled what I would say are two of the more distinct sides of the record. And not the ones you're expecting, listeners. <laughs> so, uh, I want to listen to uh, the back end of a track called Cold Fire. Um, and this is, a, I, I think, a really good example of the very extreme kind of technical hardcore side that we're hearing mm-hmm. on this EP. So, let's listen to it real quick, and then I'll talk about potential influences and uh, potential reference points for it.
Okay, so uh, potential influences here. Um, you know, a, a lot of these are going to be reference points that you've showed me, actually, because you've showed mm -hmm. me sides of uh, what I would call technical hardcore because I don't know... I don't know the nuanced ways you kids talk about this music. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> um, So one thing that I hear a lot is uh, Sectioned, who you mm -hmm, introduced mm -hmm. me to. Yeah, and for sure have become a huge thing for me. Like, that was a... Uh, the section record is something that's like, I've been waiting for my whole life, and I just needed someone to show it to me. S same, um, man, yeah. As far as stuff that takes the technology developed in the more Dillinger-y or uh, math -y side of hardcore and just welds it to converge and grind and shit and makes these direct... Uses, uses those fancy rhythms and sort of genty guitar tones to make, like just ripping hardcore songs yeah what a cool band yeah. stuff that's actually heavy and you can like crowd kill people in the pit too even though it's mm -hmm. really tech mm -hmm. um and then something i would also compare it to i don't know if you've ever really listened to them uh car bomb no all i'm thinking of is the max cavalera nail bomb <laughs> <laughs> no so uh car bomb is a kind of uh, techie hardcore band they're pretty well known but their their tech isn't really mathcore it's not about a lot of notes it's more about like almost free time feeling stuff um, mm -hmm. jazzy but without the pretense um, but then texturally a lot of the stuff reminds me of stuff you would hear and I, I <laughs> there's no like actual term for it so I call it school shooter core <laughs> uh, stuff like Admiral Angry or another band that you showed me, uh, Still Bloom, uh, which is a sort of reinterpretation of almost like new metal guitar textures. New metal and Meshuggah. New metal and Meshuggah into this like vicious kind of hardcore or sometimes down tempo style. Like Admiral it's, it's Angry, mutant, it's mute mutant beatdown. Admiral Angry is pre beatdown, but I could see that being an influence. Admiral Angry is like proto down tempo, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so I thought that was really interesting because we've heard flickers of this on Serpent Column before, but I don't think it's ever been just like out. And as clear and as straightforward oh. as it is on this passage. Dude, you can do the new metal bassist dance to that. Yeah, yeah, you really can. <laughs> um, but but I, what I find really interesting is that... Oh, for our, for our younger listeners, although maybe our younger... Well, no. There's a certain kind of younger metal person who listens to new metal unironically, but those aren't the people who listen to this show. So for the younger listeners, uh, that involves sort of... Uh, spinning around in a circle kicking your legs out behind you rhythmically as you sort of like finger pick your bass aggressively sort of I bobbing your head i still listen to new metal unironically <laughs> <laughs> moving on um anyway uh but what i find intriguing is uh, it's kind of hard to sample this record because you, you gotta listen to it in a whole block um a lot of the sort of micro songs are clearly designed to adjoin each other and are parts of a, a sort of greater suite mm -hmm. as short mm -hmm. as they yep. are. Um, but I do find it really impressive how uh, when this section pops up and it's a very distinct section of the whole record, um, it doesn't seem that surprising. Obviously there's an angle to it. There is a shift in direction, but it doesn't sound impossible 
for the record, or like it's a gimmick or something. It feels very natural with the overall ebb and flow and narrative structure of the EP. And I found that really impressive. And I think that's something that has been done on previous Serpent Column stuff, but I never felt it as intuitively as I do here. Here, all of these tracks flow into each other in a way that's, at least to my ear, a lot more natural. Maybe maybe I've just been too dumb for the previous ones, but it's, it's, well, it, it all think, works together for me. I think here it speaks more to a, you know, those ones are woven together by a sense of melody that, well, on a structural level is coming from, like, ambitious classical, from classical music and stuff. But, like, insofar as it's, there's metal reference points, it's, like, linked melodic themes that are very black metal or very black death in various ways. Uh, they're sort of elaborate themes based on these related stem melodies and they come and they go and they mutate and transform uh there are certain rhythmic phrases that come up again and again but there's that kind of like that that's a kind of like uh i don't know that's like a certain kind of melody oriented listening um and yeah i think it's a black metal-y like black metal at the highest level way of structure and songs uh this is uh and often those linked melodic themes could be used to stitch together songs that were stylistically somewhat disparate. Like Mirror and Darkness has like at least two clear-cut kinds of songs, probably more than that. Um, mm -hmm. uh, this one, this in some ways, even though a lot of different kinds of shit happened throughout this, uh, it's got a more stylistic continuity. Uh, and the continuities and echoes and interweavings are achieved more at the level of the body, right? That's just one thing. Like, this is way more body music. Yeah, definitely. Like, if, you know, if there was an access to certain parts of the Older Serpent column, it would occasionally be a little too intellectualized, right? Whereas mm -hmm. this coming, feeding off the energy from Endless Detainments that was also in Cathodos, this is just taking that, uh, just using that initial, that, that, eye for structure and just making bringing that home on a physical level in a way that i think it makes death metal sense yeah i can see that there's um i i kind of wonder why serpent column never made its way into like really abstract brutal death circles in a way that that is interesting i mean i in the same it, way that ulcerate has yeah, I mean, I, I feel like guys who listen to Defeated Sanity would hear Serpent yes. Column and be like, yeah, this is right in my wheelhouse. You know? Yeah, I feel like Defeated Sanity would like Serpent Column. Like, <laughs> like the guys <laughs> in could, the band would like they, it. They could trade notes with each other. <laughs> yeah, claim to, claim to fame. One of them emailed us back once. Um, but um, uh, <laughs> it, it, it was a, a lovely guy. But um, the... Um, so yeah, I don't know. That was cool. I also really liked the chiming, sort of like uh, you know, a very punkish punk art rock approach to kind of tremming. But uh, mm -hmm. you know, I love that kind of that, that kind of bendy stuff. Yeah, you love your you love your scronky, like very physical playing, and there's obviously tons of that across this record. Yeah, for sure. And now for something completely different. Um, <laughs> well, also very physical playing uh, and sort of passionate um, and very direct in a way that some of the earlier Serpent Column was not. 
Um, this is uh, the centerpiece of the record is a song towards the end called uh, Edelweiss, Edelweiss. Yeah. right? Which is uh, like it's more than half the length of, or it's more than twice the length of any other thing on the record. Uh, mm -hmm. Very clearly marked off as the centerpiece. Uh, and uh, it's this is Serpent Column at its most sort of lush in a way that we've only heard in Flickers somewhat on, uh, in a very different way on Invicta. Um, this is reminiscent to some degree of some things in the, like Apophenia on Mirror and Darkness, which just has this sort of very gorgeous, open... Uh, melody sort of soaring lead focused melody uh sort of jumps out of that record uh but so we're gonna start with some more um sort of more maybe sacramentomy versions of classic serpent of a classic serpent column theme one of these core stems that goes all the way back to underneath thalassa um we're gonna hear some you know some some uh some storming black death and then it's gonna go into someplace that maybe we could have seen coming, but uh, is is pretty different.
Professor, how about those octaves, bro? <laughs> well, Black Metal Guy, am, am I allowed to describe this one as emo-influenced? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 for real. I mean... <laughs> You always judge me when I do it. So. But here, yes, no, I think uh, here you're you're clear. Uh, I I give this I, I give this one to you. Uh, that is, uh, yeah. So just throw you get to the stomp part. We get the. I mean, in some ways, that's one of those very kind of outlaw rock things, right? That's very, mm-hmm. it's a very American thing to do. You throw into the stomp part, and the stomp part's really melodic, but it like literally is an emo riff. Um, Actually, like not really, not like a screamo riff, like an emo riff. Um, yeah, what it really reminds me of, um, actually, what a lot of the song reminds me of is something that you showed me, which was uh, what were they called, the cruiser, something like that. The or cruiser? cruiser. Oh, the carrier. The carrier. Oh, the carrier. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. The that's cruiser. <laughs> that's a that's that's, that's our ZZ Top that's cover the, band. No, <laughs> the, the cruiser is the uh, kind of like. Yacht Rock uh, Jimmy Buffett version of the mm-hmm. Carrier. Um, yeah, but no, it, it reminded me a lot of the stuff that uh, I heard off that Carrier compilation that you sent me one time, which that, I loved. That's great, man. <laughs> yeah, no, and so there's something there. Uh, you know, uh, the dude from A Pregnant Light likes a carrier, the Carrier a lot, too. Um, oh, really? Okay. Um, yeah. It's, I didn't um, know it's anybody that kind of knew about them. That's, that's very, uh, it seems to me that that's very obscure, so... But the way that, so yeah, the way that he's dancing down that scale, right? There's a very, uh, very emo note choice, but the play in the chording could kind of be very black metal, that downstroke stuff. But you know, also does that. Yeah, it's the carrier. The carrier plays on that first carrier record, especially the second one's a little more burly and maybe not as interesting, to be honest. But uh, the first one, they're unclear if they listened to black metal probably not they're just so good at those lush emo chords that mm-hmm. they're playing them with the kind of um bending chords into melodies technique that's just endemic to bm trem picking well i mean does um, this also remind you in some sense of like that swarm record that we covered uh, absolutely a few weeks ago? Yeah. yeah and i mean in several ways i imagine you could name a few Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, just the juxtaposition between those very traditional kind of emo melodies and the much more aggressive Mm -hmm. modern hardcore skronk stuff, you know, lashed together with the blast beats, this more extreme metal-inflected drum performance. Um, I mean, those are all constituent parts of Swarm throughout their career. It's, it's, you know, there's a funny way, there's like definitely a bit of a musical... You know, not like haha funny, but a bit of a musical joke here where there's like, like, this is the emo part. And then he keeps lacing in other sort of post hardcore screamoisms almost in this kind of like, see, look, see what I'm doing here. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of, it's, it's very overtly embracing these influences. Like, as the riff goes on, he starts throwing in those sort of darker, kind of one eyed God prophecy type, you know, uh, or uh, fucking. Um, What's that buried inside type? Those dark octaves that sound kind of black metal. Um, and we we get towards uh, then it throws us back into a blasting part, but the blasting part starts working even though the melodies are sinuous like the classic serpent column trem. They're working harmonically a lot closer to the screamo stuff, which again he's been doing for the last couple albums. Um, no, I mean especially but, on Invicta, and I th- mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that. 
you know, I also like Invicta so much because that has a lot more outward emo stuff that I think flows very well with the rest of his music. Yeah, and so, like, and then we're left on this this sort of stomp part, which, again, really back in that sort of heavy, dark, textured, emotional, hardcore thing. The... And it recalls some other cool, breakdowny part on an earlier Serpent Column record that I just tried to find on Cathodos, but I think is... Or Cathodos, but I think is actually... Or sorry, it's Cathodos, isn't it? Jesus. Uh, I remember yeah. the interview. Um, but, um, but like, it, uh, it recalls some other part that I think is actually on Mirror and Darkness, but because the last couple of years have just been like a time warp, it all kind of run, you know, runs together. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. So um, this song, right, just emotionally, really different. Again, Apophenia would be the comparison for this in terms of just sort of, it's got kind of an exuberant vibe to it. Uh, and, or, well, I, exuberant's the wrong word, but it's it's very, uh, it's, there's a, a nakedness to it that's uncommon in this music. Mm-hmm. I can see um, that. Yeah, there's a, you know, I this is almost like a, uh, you know, this is almost the, uh, the Serpent Column love song. Yeah, I, I could see that. And, uh, you know, yeah, and then the EP closes out with some more of that gesture. Again, the last song is called, like, Vesper, so like an evening song. And it's got some some more intense stuff, but it ends on a sort of more melancholy, more driving version of that kind of core emo stomp riff. Uh, mm-hmm. And just sort of swoops up this kind of major key coda turns around like we're going to resolve in some strange, suspended, optimistic place, sinks down to a root, and then just up a fifth, just heroic interval, done. Hey, it's Kari from Sepulchre Curse. And I'm Yaku. You're listening to Terminus. All right. We're back with our final record of the night. And, uh, well, just to open things up, Black Metal Guy, have you ever heard a Nunslaughter record? Before this? Yeah. No. Um, and how long have you known about Nunslaughter? Uh, 2008? And therein, therein lies the problem. You know, uh, Nunslaughter is a band that... Basically, everybody in Extreme Metal knows, but you're not an outlier. Most people have never actually sat down and listened to a Nunslaughter record. And part of why I wanted to bring this record on the show was to maybe, for at least a few people, resolve that. Because after listening to this, is there any reason people shouldn't be listening to them, you know? Well, the thing that, so they got, they're a band that got a reputation, and the reputation, right, comes in part from reality, but is, like, obstructs people listening to it. I don't think, like, Nunslaughter in some ways has a good reputation. They're known for being, right, they're known for being, like, diehard, true death metal. Uh, Yeah. They're a very persistent underground band. Uh, 
And they're just seen as like chill dudes who like do a split with tons of people, right? The idea is like Nunslaughter's always doing splits, always doing EPs, never puts out a full length. And it's like, I think for me in the past, it's just like, great. If I want to get into this band, do I have to like comb through like 20 fucking EPs? Like, yeah. To like, and I get it. There are some are supposed to be better than others and more definitive, but it was just, um, you know, they were seen there. That was a barrier to entry in itself. Um, I think okay. if you're more of a grind guy, it makes more sense to do something like that, right? It's like, oh yeah, I'll just get one of the EPs and see if it's good. Get a split, see if it's good. Uh, um, but not having full lengths to go to, as silly as it sounds, is probably a factor. Uh, also, you know, they have this reputation as being sort of like deliberately goofy, right? And mm-hmm. when you hear about Nunslaughter is when you're, because they're so established, is when you're first getting into extreme metal, when... Something goofy is the last thing you're looking for, right? Uh, yeah. um, at least if you're of me. Um, uh, so, like, it just wasn't high on my... I, I, was, I always thought, like, I think I just... I always had a favorable bias toward them. Like, yeah, Nunslaughter, cool. Like, cool band, right? But, like, I don't... <laughs> never listen to them. Uh, it struck me as there's a certain kind of person who does listen to Nunslaughter... And those are the people who are very in the specific cultural niche around Hell's Headbangers. Yeah. I mean, uh, Hell's Headbangers has been Nunslaughter's, you know, house label for basically as long as Hell's Headbangers has existed. Yeah. Um, so, oh, well, I guess I should say we're covering the newest Nunslaughter. Red is the color of ripping death out on <laughs> Hell's Headbangers. <laughs> Um, also Ohio, right? Also Ohio, an exurb basically of Cleveland, where Nunslaughter are from. You know, it, it wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I actually went through, uh, you know, Nunslaughter's archives in terms of releases, and some of the earliest releases from House Headbangers were Nunslaughter albums. Um, Nunslaughter albums, splits, EPs, you know, what have you. Um, and yeah, I understand the idea that uh, you know they've got this enormous discography of all these seven inches, uh, you know, all these little like live EPs, that kind of thing. But the reality is, you know, as a guy that had a lot of those seven inches in the past and has listened to a lot of Nunslaughter, it doesn't really matter where you start, because Nunslaughter has always been the same band. You know, they've always stuck with the principles that they started with back in. I mean, honestly, they stretch back to 1985 under a different name. Uh, so this is possibly one of the longest continuously running death metal bands that's ever existed. And yet it's vanishingly rare that you ever encounter someone who has actually listened to Nunslaughter in a serious way. So since this is your first experience, you know, I'll get into some of the nuances you know, in the differences between this and previous records, but uh, what was your impression, you know, really sitting down, listening to a full record for the first time from these guys? Uh, I liked it. Um, I wouldn't, you know, it did not strike me as the most memorable in the world. Uh, however, it was, uh, it was just good. You know, uh, you know, this is it's a category of record that we rarely have on the show because it's usually bigger bands or different bands after different kinds of effects than what we're after on the show. But mm-hmm. like 
you have that feeling of just like, yeah, this is a solid record. I'd listen to this again. Like, uh, this is this is like this is fun. You put it on and it it's uh, extremely listenable. It has like um, the guitar tone is great immediately. Like important qualification for a death metal record. Uh, very <laughs> very solid organic tone without being super burly. Uh, um, the riffs are not. You know, they're death metal riffs, right? They're not trying to write fancy individual... They're not trying to write individually memorable riffs, but the riffs all hit well, right? The riffs all... They're all well-constructed riffs, and the plane is really tight. The energy is really high, and it each track is just undeniably a ripper. Uh, yeah. Which you wrote in the notes, but, you know, I mean... It's, I mean, it's, this it's is obvious. A, you know? <laughs> and oh, and I guess it's in the fucking title, isn't it? Um, uh, the, the subliminal <laughs> messaging. Um, it is but yeah, ripping death. It yeah. does indeed rip. Uh, and it's um, a thing that struck me was that it sounds a lot less like um, what doesn't really sound like a lot of the classic sort of black death thrashing stuff on Hell's Headbangers. Nor does it sound very much like what you would normally expect of American death metal in the early '90s. Yeah, but it's it a, does it's sound a, a lot. Personality. It's, yeah, I've got a couple ideas of the reference points, but in some ways, it sounds more like European stuff, which interested me. Yeah, and I I think that comes out a little bit more on this record in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, so just for context, uh, you know, uh, for those who aren't super familiar with the band, so. Uh, like I said, uh, Nunslaughter is a band with a, a an incredible back catalog uh, going all the way back to 1985 when they were known as Death Sentence before they changed the name to Nunslaughter in 87. And uh, I believe it was... <laughs> cranking <what>? it up. <laughs> yeah, cranking it up. Um, and uh, so... It, up to a certain point, Nunslaughter was just milling around the Cleveland underground. You know, they were putting out a tape or, you know, maybe a 7-inch every couple years. But then 1995 is when Jim Sadist joined and became their drummer for the next 20 years. Uh, until, you know, unfortunately, he passed away in 2015. Um, and in 2015... Uh, you know, there was a there was a, a period of questioning for the band. You know, uh, Jim Sadis was one of the core members of the band. He became a huge part of their sound, uh, really bringing in and establishing a lot of the distinct punk influence that really mm-hmm. exists to this day. You know, he was a uh, honestly Jim Sadis uh, when he passed away. Uh, Cleveland mourned him because he was such an integral part of the music scene there, not just for metal, but for punk and rock. He mm-hmm. had played in so many bands, and, you know, he had been a big part of it. You know, a true underground legend. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to get to see him playing with Nunslaughter probably about a year before he passed away. Um, and, uh, you know, I met him briefly. He was a wonderful guy. So, you know, that was a, that was yeah. a real tragedy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, importantly, this is the band's first full-length album. Since Jim Sadist's death. And you got to imagine for a band with that kind of track record, with 20 years with the same drummer, uh, there apparently was debate in Nunslaughter whether they were going to continue. But in the following year, in 2016, 
they decided to keep going. Uh, they picked up a new drummer, uh, you know, uh, another local guy with a long history in Cleveland death metal and punk bands, and they continued. So what we're hearing here is, you know, six years past uh, Jim's death, sort of the revival of the band. I mean, obviously they've been doing plenty of splits and plenty of those seven inches, but really we were waiting for the definitive statement that Nunslaughter is going to continue. We're you know, I, uh, it sounds weird, but I actually feel things when I talk about Nunslaughter. Just because they're a band that's been around for so long, relatively unappreciated by a lot of people. And, uh, you know, there's no reason that should be the case. Because after listening to this record, everybody in Extreme Metal should be listening to these guys. Imagine, you know, since 85... You know, so many years into their career, yeah, we should all be listening to them. So uh, let's uh, let's talk about that. Um, so should we go with uh, my sample first or yours? Either. Um, I, you know, I got something chronological we could do uh, in terms of like the, the the longevity. So why don't we go with mine first? Okay, sure. Um, this is uh, so this is from the uh, second track. Uh, with a, um, <laughs> the whole record is, uh, very frank, um, and, uh, third uh track. This oh, third track, sorry, I can't count, um, <laughs> this is, uh, it doesn't, uh, the YouTube doesn't have the tracks under it, and you know I can't count, um, the, uh, like, look, black metal's about passion, um, <laughs> you guys, you count your rhythms and your things, I, yeah, I just, you know, we, you we just we believe just, in it, man, <laughs> exactly, yeah, we just yell, um, but um, the uh, so Anil so this is um to a whore. It's the third track, and uh, oh yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It's very frank. It's called to a whore. Okay, let's go. <laughs> the uh the youtube upload from hell's headbangers it's got all the lyrics to the songs which will actually be important to uh, for us to talk about but uh they're very funny on this one <laughs> dude yeah i mean so uh we don't need to read it all but basically uh um 
you know, uh, the, the last part is worth, worth reading. So, uh, uh, so I was enticed by her wicked ways. Once we bedded down, she started to stray. I thought there was me and only my prick. That was a lie. She fucked all the dicks. All my love to a whore, my mortal soul to a whore. I was nothing but a fuck, but I kept coming back for more. I tell you now this tale of woe, not about a lady, but one fucking hoe, which is all. I mean, given these guys, these guys are like 20 years too old for that word, right? So yes, keeping up, keeping up. Believe you me, she was not a witch. When she sucked my cock, she was one bad bitch. I gave my heart to a whore. I made love to a whore. Um, uh, oh, oh yeah, no, the, the interesting thing is he goes back to the chorus at the end. So basically, these lyrics are very, very capital, deliberately, in the way we use on the show, capital D, dumb, right? Yeah, yeah. This is extremely dumb, on purpose, right? But there's yeah, something there's, smart that happens in the song. It, he turns it around in a clever way at the end. It turns out it's stupid smart. Um, first of all, you just get really funny shit. Like, believe you me, she was not a witch. When she sucked my cock, she was one bad bitch. Um, <laughs> and that seems to shift the mood of a, the song a little bit. So originally it's strongly butthurt, right? In a way that's understandable, right? Makes sense to be pissed, right? Um, and it, But in a way that also sort of like makes it out like, uh, you know, the woman gave him sort of false impressions and whatever, and to some degree sort of sounds like she did, right? But he starts, the sense of grievance sort of, and, and or the sense of having like lost out, right? With, in, in, in that sort of thing, like, oh, you know, it turns out she's fucking everyone. There's a kind of, I lost out in this, right? Damn, I got mm-hmm. suckered, right? Makes sense. You feel dumb, right? Then he goes, he flips it around, so he just starts talking about how good the sex was um, and talking about how presumably she's some gothy chick, but she wasn't a witch. She was just, you know, uh, um, uh, and then at the end, he's like, I, you know, uh, he goes back to the chorus. Um, he says, she was nothing but a fuck. And I kept coming back for more. Yeah. And so there's a mode of like, he's coming to, you know, it's like, Okay, you get you get over invested in something, you get butt hurt, and then he's like laughing about it with his buddies in the bar. And, and, and then at the very it. end, at the very end, she treated me like shit, but I kept mm. coming back for more. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, no. At the end, the, the at the end of the it's, that's what it says on the lyric sheet. But the end of the song, he actually says she was nothing but a fuck, but I kept coming back for more. Ah, uh, okay. Um, I got and you. so the funny thing is, it puts him in it. You know, it's like. Okay, he's just like, hey, had a good time. Ha ha, laugh it off with the bros, right? Um, at the same time, it's sort of um, less butthurt at the woman, too. It, it, so it sort of flips it around in this kind of like, well, okay, she's going to act. She's going to act the way she's going to act, right? Um, and uh, it starts out seeming like it's inhabiting a very adolescent space and then ends up not, you know, not without the bitterness or anger, of course, but it ends up in a mature and worldly space, which is funny yeah. and cool. You're like, oh, this is a cool guy. Yeah, no, it's a, um. and that's, I mean, that's part of Nunslaughter's thing is because he, obviously you can tell through the rest of the records, like there's extremely smart rec- lyrics on this mm-hmm. record as well. So you, you know that it's a, a goofy a sort of internal joke of a song from the beginning. Um but yeah, I mean, that's part of it. And that kind of leads to something that I wanted to talk to you about specifically, which is Nunslaughter has always been very interesting because they've been 
in a sense, for a lot of years, maybe less so on this record, um, a sort of punk band in death metal drag, you know? Yeah, so let's talk about that now, apropos of the influence on this track. So this track thrashes, but in the way yeah. that only late 80s, 9 to 91 death metal can. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, da 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 um, sort of, it's, uh, that is a specifically death metal way of thrashing. Um, as far as, this is like almost, this is patterned off of Death Strike songs, except Nunslaughter was active at the same time, and in the Midwest at the same time. These guys probably played shows with Death Strike and Master. Um, yeah, I can definitely see that. It's just coming completely from that universe of proto-death metal that is most, more extreme than a lot of the other proto-death metal because it's coming mostly from Discharge. So it's like Dis Discharge composed exclusively with tritones and like half-steps. Um, yeah, I can mm -hmm. definitely see that. Uh, well, I guess I was curious about like, so there's this huge punk influence. <laughs> it's it's mm -hmm. very funny because on the... Uh, uh, you know, on, on Bandcamp, I, I don't know if it was Nunslaughter or Hell's Headbangers, mm -hmm. they're like, oh, the hardcore punk influence is completely gone now. What the, what the fuck? fuck are you talking about? Dude, yeah, this is... No. <laughs> Nunslaughter has always been 25 to 50% a punk band at heart, you know? Uh, you know... I mean, yeah, that's very punk. Yeah, I, and honestly, I would compare them to... I don't know how familiar you are, but with... Uh, Another band that's kind of like punk in metal drag, like Driller Killer, something like that. Uh, they're, they're a band that metal. There, that's a D beat band that uh, metalheads know about, but I've never really checked out. Oh, they're pretty cool. They they just sound like oh heavy ugly Motorhead. You know, you know, there's a band like that that's a Marduk side project called Moment Maniacs that this does sound oh, yeah. like. Moment Maniac okay. sort of bounces in a similar way and also has really nasty lyrics. It's I think I've mentioned them on the show before. It's almost like the dudes from Marduk were like, let's do a D-beat band with lyrics that would really piss off the editors of Maximum Rock and Roll. <laughs> um, <it's, laughs> um, yeah, no, that's, a, that's always been one of the charming things is like Nunslaughter is in a lot of ways like a, it's the house punk band for death metal guys mm -hmm. now obviously they've always had they've always been a death metal band in a sense but the punk influence is so overwhelming you can't discount it and I, I i just thought that part of the promo sheet was hilarious the idea oh the uh the hardcore punk influence is gone we're going to talk more about that on following samples it is absolutely not. In fact, this is possibly more punk and hardcore than the band has ever been, just in a different way. Um, but, you know, before we get into that, I want to get to one of the more pure death metal songs. Um, this is called Annihilate the Kingdom of God. And it's a pretty short one, so we'll listen to the whole track. And this is where we'll start talking about the lyrics and the uh, the energy behind this music. Um, because, at, at least in terms of my reading, you know, lyrics and music combined, this is one of the best directly just, like, satanic and anti-Christian death metal songs I've heard in decades. You know, it, it's... Right. This, is, this is at the top of the pile. So let's just... Let's listen to this guy right here.
a uh, a really really savage song um one of my favorites on the record as well as the uh the one after that uh uh fucking uh, beware of god that was great and uh you asked a question in the notes while that was playing you know it's like i i don't want to just keep describing it compared to other stuff um so i mean what's the best way to do that let's listen to a a short track from earlier in nunslaughter's career this is a song just called God. Um, All right. Yeah. It's, just like, it's a minute long, and this is old school nunslaughter. So that's Nunslaughter. So you can tell that it's uh, similar to what's going on now, but uh, a little bit different. Much shorter song, um, much sort of more like a stereotype of what an 80s hardcore song would sound like. So I can kind of see what the promo means, right? It's like, okay, driven by one, two beats, very fast, more like an American hardcore song from the 80s. Uh, Yeah. Right? Fast, borderline, grindy. Yeah. as this just kind of more like, as you would say, more kind of a gestural kind of riff, almost like the sort of, uh, what's it called? The fucking, uh, that one band, Mortician, that you like. Um, yeah, yeah. Got a kind of smeary <laughs> Mortician chromatic riff. Uh, but, um, okay, so I get that. Very similar thematics, in a way. But, um, yeah, very different. Because this reminds, I mean, you said it in the notes, but weirdly, I wasn't looking at the notes and I heard it. This sounds like Morbid Angel. So yeah, there really is some change. So there is some change from the classic non-slaughter sound. And I get how this is more capital M metal than that. 
It's it's more but at the same at the same yeah. time, it's still just moved. It just has a different punk rhythm. It's just more DB driven. Yeah, and I think <laughs> much like Christ our Savior, uh, Nunsla, in the way that Christ is both uh, completely mortal and completely mm. godly, Nunslaughter is both completely punk and completely death metal at the same time. Mm-hmm. I think that's honestly the best way to describe it. Um, because the way I interpret, like, f- for instance, this song in particular, uh, Annihilate the Kingdom of God and God itself, uh, the thing that makes them distinct is that they are playing death metal that is reaching both back to 80s punk, uh, like the very early stuff that would, say, influence Slayer, as well as, like, NWO BHM by way of Morbid Angel. Like, way back on, like, Abominations of Desolation, their 80s record that was only released much later. Um, It's very interesting. You know, there's a lot of bands right now that are reaching back to primordial ideas of extreme metal, but a lot of them are not accessing traditional metal and uh, old school punk in the same way. And I think that's one of the things that makes Nunslaughter distinct. You know, it, I mean, they were guys that were really around for it, who were playing music while that was contemporary, and they've never forgotten that distinct quality. Yeah, I mean, so in terms of, so where do we want to go from there? Do we want to go to uh, more sort of uh, more punky stuff or more? Yeah, why don't why, why don't we do your other punky stuff and then we'll finish on finish on mine. Well, I think that's the distinction is because so maybe some of the m- most absolutely punky stuff has gone away, but I think it's just been oh replaced I see what you with, mean yes yeah. punky has been replaced with hardcore yes both in the yes. d- discharge sense and in the other sense that you're about to get to oh yeah so Which, let's listen to. <laughs> the Devil Will Not Stray, which is easily one of my favorite tracks on the record. And you will know this better than me. You brought on some great references just because I don't know where some of those early hardcore bands are from. But mm-hmm. you you picked up on it immediately, this Cleveland sound, the idea of these influential bands from the same scene. So let's listen to this and <laughs> let's listen to what I was calling in the notes satanic integrity integrity is sort of satanic that's the thing there we go let's do it Yeah! yeah. 
Yeah, so when we first heard that, or when I first listened to this record, I almost thought I was sort of like, was I sort of like in hearing it via hard via capital H hardcore because that's my measuring stick for big chug parts like that. But listening back to it, dude, it's like, yeah, it's so it's not just the dischargey stuff from the eighties. It's like that's for sure Cleveland hardcore. Yeah, and I wasn't aware of the Cleveland connection because I don't really pay attention to where hardcore bands are from. Just because I'm not from that scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, But yeah. Uh, you were comparing it to... I mean, I said satanic integrity just because you're the guy that introduced me to integrity, but you also mm-hmm. compared it to Ringworm, who were mm-hmm. from, like, the same scene and the same, like, time period. Yeah, no, I mean, Ringworm are just another band that had the sort of the early version of the Holy Terror sound. Uh, they're from Cleveland at the same time. Similar vocal style and basically same idea, which is... Slayer and really early death metal as reference points for hardcore, just the first me- real metalcore bands, right? Metallic hardcore bands. Um, and both of them, Ringworm, so uh, Integrity would technically say they're not Satanists, but only technically, because in fact they follow the uh, process church of the final judgment. Um, uh, <laughs> okay. And worship a variety, I think, sort of like a quad, a quaternary deity. There's like Yahweh, there's there's Jehovah, there's like Jehovah, there's Christ, there's Satan, and there's somebody else. I can't remember. And they also worship Abraxas, um, <laughs> you know, the Gnostic demon. Um, so, uh, but yeah, when you started with that stuff, like at the beginning, you could just yell like Misha, which is the beginning to like, you know, their their first record. You could just yell it over that. Um, <laughs> um and, it's, uh, so, like, you can definitely hear that. You can hear the ringworm. Uh, there are a few other bands in that vein. Like, this would be later 90s or, like, early 2000s, but, like, All Out War. Sort of Slayer Core, oh, yeah. people called it. I went back to listen to some All Out War recently because I've referenced them on the show before, but I never really listened to them. Fucking sick. Really. It aged really well. Oh, yeah. You showed me some of that uh, a while back, and I really enjoyed mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah. But real quick, uh, the lyrics on this record... Specifically, Mm -hmm. uh, you brought up, you know, before I even listened to it, the lyrics to a song called Dead in Ten. Yes. Which I think is, I think that might be a kind of skeleton key to the whole record. You -hmm. know, the the serious parts of it, at least. There's a a couple, like, goofy songs that are, you know, just having fun. Because some of these songs were written around when Jim Sadis was still around. Um so I have my read on this, but what did you think about it? Why did this stand out to you? Well, uh, it's it was so frank. I mean, again, we we're talking about nakedness with Serpent Column, but like this is uh, on another level in terms of this. So what is Dead in 10, right? The classic death metal lyric, and this one rolls along. Another influence I hear a lot on this record, or adjacency, because I think it's coming from similar 80s proto-death territory is Grave, Into the Grave, which is one of my favorite mm-hmm. death metal records. I don't think they're Grave-influenced. I think they're just drawing on the same shit as Grave was. Um, in terms of Grave doing something much more, like, you know, uh, much more caveman than their Swedish counterparts, right? Uh, but this is, th- this song, like, rolls along on those kind of, like, bulldozer-bouncing sort of, like, uh, early grave or, or master death strike rhythms um and it's you know usually the course would be you'll be dead in 10 right and usually we mean like 10 minutes or 10 seconds right yeah. 
the chorus here is, I'll be dead in 10. And I was like, did I hear that right? And so I did, that's what drew me to the lyrics. Um, should we read them? Because it's so short. Yeah, sure. I'll do it. Uh, now has come the time to reflect on life well spent. M music, people, travels, and what it all has meant. Dead in 10. Fulfilled beyond compare in a truly sordid past. I have come to terms that life will not last. Dead in 10. Dead in ten, I'll be dead in ten. When the final time has come to rest my weary head, no funeral procession or viewing that I am dead, I wish to be burned and all the ashes put to sod, knowing while alive I cursed and denied your God. I'll be dead in ten, I'll be dead in ten. This is not a prophecy or a vision in a dream. It is just the way of life some things are what they seem. Ten and ten. <laughs> to live a life of wonder and accept the end is near. Is not nihilistic. Death is nothing to fear. Dead and ten. Dead and ten. I'll be dead in ten. <clears throat> so what is your what is your perspective? I, I mean I I have my read, but well, you go ahead. Obviously it must be, you know, it's influenced by the wake of Jim Sadis death, I'd imagine, right? But um, like that's yeah, that's a, a big component is I, I think it is absolutely a tribute to him and like a a rest in power kind of thing. And also, I think very much like someone reflecting. So this is probably by Don of the Dead, right? Who's the other longtime yeah. member. He'd been there since 87. Uh, and, um, you know, he, he's 51. And so if you yeah. read these very literally, this is just a dude saying, look, one of my best buds didn't make it even as far as me. Mm -hmm. Um. If I keep living at the rate I am and keep, uh, you know, fucking bad bitches uh, and, <laughs> you know, uh, steamrolling along, good chance I'll be dead in 10 years. I certainly can't expect any more than that. Um, and this is one of, this is a guy, this is the, really the first of the, these guys are so early to it. These are the first in on Extreme Metal. Mm-hmm. And before then, always got to sort of like R.I.P. Corthon, you know, tragic death, tragic untimely deaths like Corthon or, you know, sort of like, uh, you know, sort of uh, <laughs> sort of uh, um, cataclysmically inevitable deaths like Euronymous are dead. Right. Um, where like this is uh, these are first generation dudes who are nowhere near the end of the line for a normal person. Right. But for somebody who's been like doing coke and drinking constantly for, for people like us, yeah, 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 yeah. For <laughs> yeah, for for somebody who's been who's like who's been like partying for forty five years and living life on the road on couches and in small apartments and maybe maybe if he's lucky like a decent nice little bungalow now, um, this is just looking at it hard in the face and yeah. From the kind of atheist, satanic as metaphor for robust atheism thing that was always at the core of the most, like, the death metal that wasn't Morbid Angel. Mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, and it's just cool. You know, on the show we talk about, you know, death metal sometimes relapses into humanism and whatnot. Well, maybe this is a kind of humanistic record, but, like, in a pretty, in a way that's pretty hard to... You know, the, you can't, nobody can look at these lyrics and say, be too occult or too neo-religious for them. Yeah. No, it's a, a confrontation of reality in the way that 
I think a lot of the best death metal was, you know, uh, mm-hmm. really going back to the roots, the, and the, the embracing of it, mm-hmm. you know, Jim passed away, unfortunately before his time, but Don accepts it, you know, mm-hmm. it's both a tribute to his friend, you know, I assume one of his best friends in the world and, uh, an acceptance of what this life means. You know, we're going to go all out, live life to its fullest, and it has natural consequences, and fuck it, if I'm dead in ten, that's okay. Adventure to be pursued. 